You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's January 7th. Yesterday marked one year since the supporters of then-President Donald Trump attacked the U.S. Capitol. It was a deadly day that shined a light on the threat of violent extremism, especially violent white extremism in the United States. In a paper out this week, RAND researchers consider this threat through a public health lens. Drawing from their experience studying substance dependence and other self-destructive behaviors, they identify uncanny parallels between hate and addiction. For example, addiction studies have shown that stress can lead to activation of craving and drug use. Similarly, studies on extremism, including a recent RAND study, suggest that stress may also contribute to individuals relapsing to extremism after managing to leave extremist groups. Another example, individuals with substance dependence have high rates of other psychiatric conditions. RAND's recent study of predominantly white nationalist extremists uncovered a similar pattern. 17 of the 32 individuals interviewed for the study reported past mental health challenges that presented obstacles throughout their lives. So what lessons from addressing substance misuse or addiction might be applied to countering extremism? Overall, the authors say that approaches incorporating community-centeredness, harm reduction, and radical forgiveness show promise in tackling both of these persistent problems. Of course, the researchers acknowledge that there must be negative consequences for harmful behavior. But it appears that too much punishment, or not enough support, quote, might feed the cycle of vengeful retribution that is critical in driving domestic extremism. As always, you can find this new paper on RAND.org. And if you're looking for even more relevant resources on violent extremism now that it's been a year since the attack on the Capitol, check out the pinned tweet on RAND's Twitter feed. Employers, landlords, and volunteer organizations routinely conduct criminal background checks to identify and filter individuals who might be deemed too risky to hire, rent to, or participate in volunteer activities. But these checks are often conducted many years after a person was convicted of a crime or released from prison. And given that roughly 30% of people in the U.S. have criminal histories, background checks often turn up results that eliminate life-changing opportunities. A new RAND study tests a new way to measure an individual's risk level. The authors propose assessing risk of recidivism at the time of the background check, instead of measuring that risk at the time a person was last convicted or released from prison. This model accounts for the time a person has spent free in the community without a conviction, a hugely important signal of recidivism risk. This approach would reflect the reality that people with criminal convictions can, and usually do, change their ways. The findings provide a valuable starting point for researchers aiming to better understand and more accurately assess recidivism risk. And this method could eventually be integrated into tools that employers and others can put into practice. Once the COVID-19 vaccines were developed, not enough was done to ensure that the global population got vaccinated. 
but it's not too late for the U.S. to take the lead and meet this challenge, says Rand's Krishna Kumar. The humanitarian reasons for doing so are obvious. Getting the world vaccinated could potentially save hundreds of thousands or even millions of lives. Additionally, increasing vaccinations minimizes the chances for further mutations like Delta and Omicron, which prolong the pandemic. Here are several steps that wealthy nations like the U.S. could take to help countries with low vaccination rates. First, providing logistical support and equipment such as syringes and refrigeration units could help ensure that vaccine doses don't expire and can be administered properly. Second, As some emerging economies are developing their own vaccines to address current shortages, the U.S. could support these efforts by sharing technical know-how and scientific expertise. Third, the U.S. could ease export restrictions on critical vaccine components and partner with local firms to help increase the manufacturing capacity in developing countries. Fourth, and finally, in countries where vaccines are available but vaccine hesitancy remains a barrier, a U.S. COVID-19 envoy could coordinate technical assistance and share strategies to help encourage people to get the shot. Kumar notes that beyond contributing to global health, these efforts could inject some much-needed goodwill to encourage global cooperation on thornier issues such as climate change and global security. But even if these additional benefits don't come to pass, he says that rallying the power of global diplomacy is likely necessary to end the pandemic for good. Since the 1950s, the U.S. has fielded a nuclear triad consisting of weapon systems that operate in the air, at sea, and on land. Major components of all three legs are nearing the end of their service lives. In a new paper, RAND experts outline the rationale for modernizing the triad and identify arguments for and against developing a new intercontinental ballistic missile, or ICBM. The first, and perhaps most compelling argument for fielding a new ICBM, they say, is that it is no longer technically feasible nor cost-effective to continue extending the service life of the current U.S. missile, the Minuteman III. Further, New capabilities are required to respond to a changing strategic environment, particularly with respect to Russia and China. And lastly, a new ICBM could actually reduce costs by eliminating the need to maintain the current system. However, there are doubts about these potential benefits. Some object to the idea that costs would be lower by developing a new ICBM. Others argue that the U.S. should rethink the overall value of maintaining land-based weapon systems at all. And some believe the U.S. should eliminate its ground-based delivery systems as part of an eventual transition to sea-launched weapons. There's clearly a lot to consider here, and the authors note that although certain aspects of this topic can only be discussed in a classified setting, This issue is too important to limit the conversation to closed forums. So if you'd like to learn more about our experts' analysis of this topic, you can read the full paper at RAND.org. Technologies like Zoom and Microsoft Teams have transformed how many people work, go to school, and visit the doctor. According to RAND experts, use of these platforms could have long-term effects on the very makeup of populations— potentially affecting demographic trends like migration, morbidity, and more. Take migration, for example. 
collaboration technologies facilitate remote work, which could lead people to move away from urban job centers. And these technologies may keep those already living in suburban and rural areas from moving, because their jobs now allow them to stay connected without living near an office. These technologies may also influence health. Before the pandemic, there was already evidence that mobile phones could help provide better access to healthcare, which could potentially facilitate health improvements. But these outcomes have not always been systematically evaluated in lower-resourced countries, and in wealthier countries, there's a different question. It's not always clear that telehealth is reaching people who otherwise wouldn't get the care that they need. These examples reveal a lot of complexity. Collaboration technologies could provide significant benefits, but the extent of these benefits is still unknown, and unequal access could limit them. This is why the researchers say it will be important to track changes to the use of collaboration technologies both during and after the pandemic. Rand is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered in this episode, check the show notes at rand.org/podcast. We'll see you next week.